In our modern way of thinking, there is a strong but erroneous tendency traced to the intellectual influence of the 18th century philosopher Immanuel Kant to separate the idea of morality from competence. In this way of thinking, competence is just a matter of the intellect. It's about technical know-how. It's about the ability to bring about a certain outcome in a given circumstance. Morality, by contrast, we tend to think of as a matter of the heart. It's about one's interior disposition towards others. It implies having a good will in regards to our neighbors, or at least the absence of a bad will. It's treating others as you would wish to be treated, or at least as you would tolerate being treated. We all submit, of course, to being judged by our, confident, by our competence in our careers and our other practical undertakings. A person who is a doctor or an accountant, for example, understands that his or her primary qualification to undertake those roles is competence in medicine or finances. Yet when we turn to the moral or spiritual realm, we often expect to be judged solely by our intentions, by our goodwill, or at least our lack of any malevolent intention. Certainly there is some truth to this distinction. In moral theology, the church teaches that a person's intention in acting is an important criterion by which we evaluate the morality of their action. But the lack of a bad intention does not ipso facto render our conduct morally acceptable. Even having a good intention by itself does not insulate us from moral failure. Rather, a good intention must always be manifested by proper action. Separating morality from competence in our modern way would be very foreign to our Christian ancestors in the ancient or medieval periods. It would have been very foreign to the people of the Old and New Testaments because they would have understood that the moral self is incomplete unless it possesses, as the first reading speaks of, the perfection of prudence. Compared to the other virtues, such as fortitude, justice, and temperance, prudence can seem unsexy, kind of mundane, not the kind of thing that saints or other heroic individuals are made of. Yet Thomas Aquinas called prudence the charioteer of the virtues, because it's the virtue that keeps all of the other virtues in line. Virtues such as justice, temperance, and fortitude, untethered from prudence, cease to be virtues at all and can become vices. In today's gospel, I think it's safe to say that many of us are drawn to sympathize with the five foolish virgins who run out of lamp oil and to view the Lord who denies them access to the wedding feast as being somewhat imperious and cruel. Amen, I say to you, I never knew you. Yet we know, of course, that this parable is meant to be an allegory for heaven. God is perfectly just. He would never deny heaven to someone unless that is what that person genuinely deserved. But we see that God himself, although he no doubt gives us all the credit that we are due for our good intentions, cannot view us apart from the actions that we produce. There is an expression, sufficiently advanced in competence is indistinguishable from malice. We've all felt that way in regards to others. When someone harms us or annoys us by their incompetence, we don't tend to give a lot of shift to whether they meant well. It's just that for ourselves, we claim that others should, ex- should respect our hearts, 
in holding us accountable for what we've done. I remember early in my seminary career, I was getting some negative feedback from a priest about the way some of the things that I had said and done in the seminary had been perceived by the faculty. Of course, I defended myself by saying that I didn't mean for my words or actions to be taken that way, and truly, I didn't. But the priest said to me, Scott, get over the idea that just because you didn't mean anything by what you said or did, that it suddenly becomes okay. I see this all the time in dealing with people's moral and spiritual lives. For example, I'll be trying to help a couple in a difficult marital situation. One spouse is hurt that the other spouse does X because they feel it's disrespectful or inconsiderate. But the other spouse will plead ignorance. I'm not trying to annoy you when I do X. Do you think that makes the other spouse feel any better? Of course not. Because love means trying to actually care about whether what you do annoys the other person or not. Or someone behaves in, a, in, a, in an irreverent or res, irresponsible way in regards to the rites and the sacraments of the church. And when confronted, they will defend themselves. I didn't mean to do anything wrong. Or I didn't know that that's what the church expected. And sometimes they are flabbergasted that the church is even having any expected standard of conduct in this regards, because they assume that the life of faith demands only their heart, not their mind. It never occurs to them that there would ever be a responsibility to investigate and ascertain the right way to behave or proceed in a given situation. Now, certainly, we should always try to be charitable in assessing another's motives. We should try to distinguish between incompetence and malice, but recognize, too, that prudence belongs to the moral life just as much as any of the other virtues. Our Lord said to his followers, be perfect just as your heavenly Father is perfect. Perfection of the self without attending to the virtue of prudence is impossible. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.